0: China begins military exercises around Taiwan as the yuan increases in value. What's going to happen? We'll see. We'll also look at Piers Morgan and an interview he had with a gay activist where they talk about pride flags and mandatory obeisance. The mask slips a little bit, and I think you'll find it interesting what he says. And then finally, the Dalai Lama asks a young boy to kiss him and then to suck his tongue. All that and more today on Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop for all of your business solutions. Let's say you need help with staffing because the lameos at your work right now are just people that need to be fired. Let's just say maybe you need help with bookkeeping because all those receipts are junking up your car, and you need somebody to keep those books for you. Well, our friends over at Anchor can help you with all of the above. If you want to have a business not only above board, but also support an organization that is filled with great people, then you need to check out Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. Not only can they help you with staffing, payroll, accounting, and so much more, but they can also help you with business strategies to take your business to the next level. So if you want to put legs underneath your vision, you need to go to Anchor, and that's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. And when you go over there, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now I want you to jump in Doc Brown's DeLorean with me just for a moment so that we can go back to the year 2020. And we're at a gathering now in the year 2020 where Hollywood elites have come together to take a break from, you know, the usual stuff, grooming children, affairs, and whatever else they do for fun over there in Hollywood. They've taken a break from all of those festivities to take a moment to do what they love to do more than anything else, and that is to celebrate themselves, that's right. There's probably nothing more fitting for our narcissistic age than for a bunch of actors who love attention and for lo- who love people to watch them on the big screen, for them to come together to produce another show all about celebrating people watching them as they're celebrated. So it- it's enough to make you realize everybody's worshiping something, but some people just graduated worshiping a mirror after high school, and now they actually decided to worship something that makes a little bit more sense. And at this fateful day in 2020, at the Golden Globes, Ricky Gervais took the stage and proceeded to blast the very false impression of moral moral superiority. Well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If Isis started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight don't use it as a a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God. Now I wanna be really, really clear about something. I am a big believer in proselytizing and shoving your religion down people's throat. However, I wanna make sure that when you're doing that, the message and the religion that you're shoving down people's throat is true. So that's my real problem with actors getting up and doing their moral grandstanding. The real issue with celebs doing this at the Golden Globes, as Ricky points out, is often their message is, uh, you know, don't don't use microaggressions, and use appropriate pronouns, and your carbon footprint, and all of that from the people who love private jets seems a little bit ridiculous. These morally compromised fools need to practice what they preach before they ever start trying to preach to us, or at least start getting some preaching that actually sounds like something you would want to practice. That's why this monologue is so righteous, because it was so true. But it also reveals a deeper lesson that all of us should not quickly forget, and that is... That success should never be confused with moral superiority. I call this Golden Globe Syndrome. It's the idea of unearned moral superiority, again, based upon financial or personal success. Make no mistake, it is very real and it is also not relegated to Hollywood. In fact, Christian pastors fall into this temptation all the time and it even dupes their congregations. Just because a pastor has achieved a level of success, has a big budget, and a big auditorium and bunches of butts in seats, it should not automatically convince you that that pastor is actually a moral or spiritual leader. In fact, very often it could mean the opposite. Jesus actually showed us this, by the way, in the Bible. When given the opportunity to become a king or a celebrity to the people, he resisted that and rather chose to impact the lives of 11 men than to be a celebrity in the crowd. He knew celebrity and success, if not tempered well with character, can easily mislead you into thinking that success means you have the right to spout whatever opinion you want. This mistake is made on the Daily in Washington, by the way, and there it is most egregious. Men and women who have been elected to office quickly find themselves thinking that they now have become this moral thought leader for the world and should share their unrequested thoughts on, on a number of issues. Without so much as picking up a book, we can see the likes of AOC and the squad, unfettered by the truth, dispensing their well-fashioned ideas. This Golden Globe syndrome is increasingly common and deeply troubling, and here's why. It's just flat wrong. So very often, the people who are the most successful in life are, are, are morally egregious human beings. Let's be really clear about this. We see that the ones who stand for truth are typically the ones in their time who are, are martyred. So these social elites want to praise people like Dylan Mulvaney in the present, and they want to judge stay-at-home moms when the real heroes are ones that are often not celebrated in society. The mother who has an autistic son who decided to deliver that son rather than to abort it just because it might have some kind of impairment And then to take care of that son, to wait on that son, to love that son, and to care for him. See, that's what a real hero looks like. Dylan Mulvaney has to date done zero heroic things in his whole life. All he's done is pull the wool over people's eyes and at some point you think, this guy actually knows what he's doing. He's making fun of women and people like Budweiser are giving him money for it. And then uh, when someone asked me how I was, I said, I'm fine, when I wasn't fine. Secondly, and most importantly, let's realize that morality is not a popularity contest. Morality is really, really hard. So the people like Kim Kardashian who are able to get millions of likes on posts because she shows her butt is because popularity contests are really, really easy. Morality actually takes a lot of time, a lot of study, a lot of introspection, a lot of working on yourself, and a lot of study. To truly develop a robust sense of morality for your life, you actually need to work really, really hard for it. And that's why morality is typically not popular. The things that are popular are often the things that are the most banal. Let's be also clear about this point. Success blinds you to your own ambition just because you're successful doesn't mean that it gives you the right to spout off your sense of morality or that the platform that it gives you is well earned um, when it when it comes to spouting moral truths. Because what success actually really can do if you're not careful is blind you to the fact that what you call morality is just your selfish ambition on full display and your Supposed morality is nothing more than an opportunity for you to get more attention for yourself because you are blinded by ambition. So what you call morality is nothing more than success-seeking, but in a different way. But most importantly, the reason Golden Globe Syndrome is such a problem is that that which is rewarded in society is repeated. And if we do not truly celebrate what is good and what is moral, if we don't have an understanding of what the good life actually looks like, there's actually repercussions to this kind of thing. And that's where I bring you to a big story today that you need to be aware of. China has started to stage military exercises in and around Taiwan, flying, uh, flying planes and bringing warships in and around the island. Now, a lot of people believe that this is in response although a little bit delayed, to Nancy Pelosi going over to, uh, to Taiwan to try to encourage the people over there and to try to get her photo up. And now the repercussions, as we've all felt would come, is that China is now making strong advances towards Taiwan, and we believe that it may not be too long before there is a full-fledged takeover of to- Taiwan by the, by the Chinese. Now, this happens also within the backdrop of a story that you may have heard. That China is pushing the yuan in in greater ways around the world. In fact, as America increases in its financial weakness, Russia and Brazil have already agreed to trade exclusively with China in the yuan. And there are other countries like Saudi Arabia and others that are also set to do the same. What this means is not automatic financial collapse of America per se, but it certainly means that in an already difficult situation in America, while we are facing recession and incredible inflation, it means that our lion's share of influence in the rest of the world is being compromised right now by very aggressive moves from China. And here's what I would mention to you about all of that, is that a strong America is not a Christian nationalist imperative. It's, it's a global safeguard from the privations of totalitarians, that a strong America is good for the world, but the policies of the left have weakened America. And let's be really clear, the policies and the morality of the left on full display in the present administration has done nothing but to destroy this country. We are fiscally less secure than we have ever been. On a foreign policy standpoint, we are more in jeopardy than we have ever been, and we are absolutely more spiritually bankrupt than we've ever been as a nation as we continue to push left-wing gender ideology among other things in this nation. So why would I think a group of elitists who continue to show that they want to shove their morality down our throat are interested in doing anything other than controlling us? Now, let's be clear. They can do that as useful idiots, as pawns in the hands of people who really have ill intent, or they can do it just simply because they truly believe they are morally superior. So whatever power they can get, whatever ends need to justify the means, it's worth it to them because they feel like they are the morally superior people. But the real question is, is now that we can see that their morally bankrupt ideas lead to destruction, what are we going to do about it? And we'll talk about that in our top stories today. Piers Morgan continues to bring out the hits, and we see it here as the conversation has fundamentally shifted in such a very small amount of time from the dominance of Christians to the suppression of Christian ideas because of the dominance of the LGBTQ community. And Piers Morgan puts this on full display as he's speaking to a gay activist about the the forced use of pride flags. Now, Again, the reason I put this juxtaposition between Christians and the LGBTQ community is obviously because Christians, if you actually read the Bible and believe in Jesus, um, you are antithetical to the ideology of gender ideology and uh, the sexual liberation that the, le- the left preaches. It is not Christian, in other words. But also because there was a point in time when Christians had a kind of cultural dominance where we were talking about Bibles in schools and uh, prayer in schools. But now we're talking about the right to even resist wearing pride flags in public. And so here is a conversation between Piers Morgan and a gay activist that is um, concerned with the fact that you might resist bending the knee. And if so, what does this really say about you? So here's, here's him talking to this activist. I don't think anybody should be forced to signal their virtue if they don't wish to. And yet we're seeing more and more pressure now being applied both by sporting uh, teams and associations. We're seeing it applied by social media, the court of public opinion, to say if you don't do this, then you are a bigot and you should be shamed. What's your view? Well, yeah, I, I totally agree. We shouldn't force people to to wear things and, and support things publicly that they do not support. It's fine. Obviously, that comes down to, well, if you're not going to take the knee, if you're not going to wear these laces what does this say about you? And I think that's where we need to have why conversation. Should it, then why should it say anything about you? I mean, for example, there are currently, there are black footballers who don't want to take the knee anymore. They think it's sort of lost its, its steam and impact. If they should be allowed to say, I'm not gonna do it, why shouldn't a white player, without you making the insinuation, well, it says something about you if you don't? Well, this is the thing. I, do, I don't think if you're not gonna take the knee or if you're not gonna wear the lace, it means you're a bad person. I just think it means, okay, well, there's a conversation to be had. There are many reasons why someone would not want to wear rainbow laces or wear, or wear the pride thing. But we have to ask why. Like, what is it? Is it that you, you know, hate the gays, you don't want to see them around? Or is it that you, you know, you think it's woke gone mad? Whatever it is. There are, there are, but that's where the issue is. Now, speak about soft totalitarianism. So if you're not bending the knee, why aren't you? So let's just be really, really clear about something. No one should be forced to wear a pride flag. Uh, Before long, we'll be talking about, by the way, why anyone should be forced to wear clothes because the liberal and um, really the leftist is so unmoored from reality it's like that you must wear a pride flag but we're not even sure why you must wear clothes in public this is already happening in other countries around the world where public nudity is absolutely fully open uh, you know uh, uh, to the public and, and and lawful especially whenever kids are around because that's uh the real big important thing is to make sure that kids see your junk Uh, So nonetheless, it won't be too long before we're having these conversations if we don't do anything culturally, before we're talking about public nudity and how oppressive it is for Christians to tell us that we have to wear clothes. Um, But before we get there, now the left is forcing us and others— uh, to wear pride flags. So th- the first thing is this, is no one should be forced to wear a pride flag uh, for multiple reasons. Here's, here's the biggest one. How about we install, and if it makes you feel better, I'll call this a liberal golden rule. And this golden rule is do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. So if we can't come along and force you to wear crosses, or we can't force you to pray, if we can't force you to bow the knee, how about we say, you don't force us to, buy it, to bow the knee. Now, I think this is very interesting because the, the, the guy kind of agrees with this premise in this way. He says, no one should be forced to wear anything. We should just really be having conversations about why in the first place anybody would, would object to wearing a flag. So if you don't bow the knee, the only question is... is why won't you bow the knee? Hmm. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you get the impression that uh, the finger pointing here isn't from the fundamentalist community and the Christian evangelical community, but actually the finger pointing is from squarely on the religious left. And they're saying, why aren't you Christians wearing these pride flags, of course, because the, the people who have been most outspoken about this usually cite their Christian values. And I'm glad of it because I'm glad we've got some Christians standing for something once again, but I'm also glad that we can enter into conversation a antithetical viewpoint to the LGBTQ cult that is predominating in society today. They are definitely culturally dominant, whereas Christianity used to be. Now, the majority of people in America still claim to be Christians, but in terms of cultural dominance, Christianity lost that a long time ago. It's why Christianity today exists, because they're trying to reclaim cultural dominance by pandering to the left instead of actually by standing for truth. Needless to say, cultural dominance was left by lost by Christians a long time ago and so now the obvious implication here is the only reason you won't wear a pride flag is because you're a bigot and you're hateful and you're intolerant and you're so disgusting and you're not welcoming so get the hell out of here is the obvious implication. You Christians are the intolerant ones, not us. Now, we'll continue this kind of cultural back and forth again. Uh, as I mentioned before, if we if we don't get back to a to a central focal, focal point of view, to the fulcrum of the issue here, and that is this that my agenda versus your agenda is the wrong way to think about this. The that, that, that pride flag wearing versus non-pride flag wearing is is totally the wrong way to talk about this. That's That's nothing more than kind of a manipulative way to avoid the real issue at stake here. And and that is, we need to be having a conversation about right versus wrong, not pride flag versus not pride flag. It's already kind of a tip of the hat to the LGBTQ community to put us in the position as Christians where we have to defend that kind of stuff. So I'll give you this this argument that should kind of uh, enter into the conversation here in a more public fashion, and that is this. Um, Why is The Christian idea of monogamy and heterosexual marriage superior to the ideology of homosexuality, and that is because, well, one of them has the power to procreate and the other doesn't. Now hear me clearly, I'm not making the argument that sex is merely for the means of procreation. Um, There's some other great benefits to it as well, Uh, but certainly if we just merely talk about the, the benefits of heterosexual uh, marriage and, and as opposed to homosexual marriage and homosexual relationships, we can clearly see already that there is one huge difference dictated not only in Scripture, but also by nature and science and biology. And that is that one has the superior ability to procreate and the other does not. So how about we just return to people being able to play sports without activism if you don't really want to have this conversation about right and wrong within the context of sports? Because it's clear the Christian idea of marriage and the Christian idea of, of, of two people coming together is superior. How about we just return to you playing sports and leave your pride flags at home? goes back to the golden rule thing if you don't want to for me to force my christian flag down your throat if you don't want to give the christian national anthem at every single sporting event then how about we just kind of return to sports doing what it's supposed to do which is one final point it just this just brings to the fore activism makes everything worse guys Activism makes everything worse. Now, I'm good for debate. I'm good for argumentation. I'm good for rhetorical dialogue with others. And I think that there needs to be more spaces for that kind of thing. But not activism, not the kind of people who have an agenda and then wield money and power over uh, the, the heads of other people until you force your way down people's throat. That's There's nothing good that comes from that. Hopefully we can see by now that activism ruins everything everything activism ruins movies activism ruins sports activism ruins politics there is a and and so in the present you know people are saying well read." we need to have moral leaders well you do understand that there's a way to be moral without being an activist right The only reason you would think that is because the social justice movement has so proliferated in everybody's consciousness that we don't understand that activism sometimes is the lowest rung of morality on the planet because it's really easy to grab a sign and go protest in front of a a business. It's even to a degree, easy to, to avoid watching Disney movies as they shove their not so secret gay agenda down your throat, but it's way harder to actually stand up, flat-footed, and declare your well-thought-out moral values based upon history and wisdom brought to us from the past into the present and based upon books such as the Bible. You know what's way easier? Developing your morality arbitrarily as you go along. Just like you put on your pants today, you put on your morality today. And ultimately, that puts us in the place where we have These autonomous individuals consistently fighting against each other in society without having any mooring. So this is where the Christian nationalist is falsely accused of just wanting to shove Christianity down people's throats or trying to create this kind of theocracy uh, of sorts. It's, It's just this. A society is based upon a social contract. It's called social contract theory. And the idea is this, is that there needs to be a loose set of principles that a society can agree upon. And our society historically has done that by using Christian scripture, the Judeo-Christian value, if you want to call it that, and only... Very recently have we begun to really disagree with that and find ourselves now saying we support autonomous individualism rather than social contract theory. So the less activism that mindlessly pushes us toward an agenda and the more thoughtful conversation we can have about what morality looks like, the better. And hopefully today's show aids in that. But also this is important because there are repercussions to this kind of thing. Just recently, a Florida sheriff spoke out about the what you might call the school to prison pipeline, but more importantly spoke out about how schools that are lenient on on disciplinary issues with students actually can aid in a bed in the bad behavior of those students out in the in the real world and then people die when that kind of stuff happens. So here I want to show you the Marion County Sheriff giving a press conference about two boys, a 12-year-old and a 17-year-old, who killed three other young people. And apparently, a fight that started in the school found itself outside of the school where these three kids were killed. And here's him talking about that. And an affray at the school. Oh, that's what I call a light bulb coming on right there. Remember I just talked about minimizing and holding students accountable? our school districts not just here I'm not going to point out just mine school districts across this state and across this nation need to quit minimizing the actions of their students hold them accountable that's where the failure is Now, you can hear in this sheriff's rhetoric, you can hear a little bit of Ron DeSantis, perhaps, but more importantly, you can hear the frustration of a police officer whose job is made harder because schools will not do their job. Now, here's the argument from the left, as best as I can situate it, that that schools push students into the prison system and that schools very often are responsible for creating this familiarity um, with the prison system in students by uh, by a couple of things first of all by exposing them to police presence in schools and by having very strict zero tolerance policies because you you do something in class uh, and then you're 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 punished for that thing then that ultimately all that's doing is is that it's creating this sense in which the kid becomes desperate and doesn't feel like they can they can do anything in life and ultimately they must resort to murdering people and then of course the idea is that when you expel a student you make them desperate you give them nothing to do and no way of actually getting out of whatever uh, you know bad things that they may be a part of at home and whatnot and and so um, by expelling kids and having very strict you know rigorous, disciplinary policies in schools, you are disservicing kids. And of course you understand that the argument is squarely rooted in the idea of systemic racism. And so the idea goes as follows that whenever you do these kind of things, it disproportionately affects especially black kids in, in poor communities. And when you treat them like delinquents, they will ultimately become delinquents. And that's why these children are dead today. So a couple things about that. Let's be really clear. Because of the breakdown of the nuclear family, and especially because in black communities, there are so few real men stepping up to the plate to be fathers. And I'm not saying this to, uh, to throw stones. I'm saying this because statistically speaking, close to 80% of all black kids grow up in single-parent homes, and about 86% of those homes are led by women. So the black father is definitely an issue. And because of that, a lot of these kids are growing up without discipline at home. Therefore, they come to school, and then if you don't give them discipline there, ultimately what you have is a totally crazy classroom. All right, sit down. Okay? You go sit down. You go sit down. All right. Come up to lie. me like that. I mean. Who the f- you think you are? Yeah, twitch your f- face. Turn around and raise your fist like that, Doctor. Shu. Do it again. I'm not. All right, Give up to me and do that to me. Now, for those of you who are listening and not watching, that was probably a 16 year old, 15 year old kid screaming in the face of, of a professor or, or a teacher. Um, so, very often, the only recourse that teachers have is to kick kids out of their class and to kick kids out of school because they are so unruly. Delinquent kids with no parents use school as a laboratory to test their evil. And this is the second thing, and this is the most important thing. We need to understand, evil exists. People on the left think that um, they're very Rousseauian. That You know, Rousseau said that people are born free, but in every, but everywhere are in chains. That ultimately, the only thing that really puts people in an imposition is society. And it's society's fault that these kids are growing up the way they are, rather than that they're actually making choices. And that some kids just truly are evil. The left constantly wants to create social welfare programs to get rid of evil in the heart and then strip religious ideas and religious classes from from the school system and then wonder why kids are singing to their own DNA when they don't have morality taught to them from the earliest of ages. Evil exists and we got to do something about it. And moreover, I would just say this, that... Parents, I have to tell you, if you don't figure out a way to get your kids in a private school right now, you are a negligent parent. With everything that's going on in the public school system, with how dangerous it's becoming, with how wicked it is, it is a moral imperative to figure out a way. And and I've heard... Other Christians talk about this and say that it's actually morally egregious for Christian parents to take their kids out of the public school system. Well, because you're supposed to be salt and light to your kids, or whatever the case may be. Um, but I am going to victim blame a little bit here. And I'm just going to say this, whether you're a white parent, a black parent, or any kind of parent, a Christian parent, a non-Christian parent, I'm just going to tell you, regardless of your social economic status, don't let the left lie to you and tell you that um, it's 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 society's fault that you can't afford a private school. I'm going to tell you as a parent, it is your obligation to find a way. And if there is a will, there is a way. I I feel confident enough after years of taking my kids to private school, and gladly so, that I know that there is a way that you can try to get your kids into a private school where they will be much better served if you really try and if you really put yourself in the position to do so. And that's what you got to do because in the meantime schools continue to push this prison to or school to prison pipeline thing where they think the real way to to change all of that is is to have a more open environment where kids can express themselves and if they're angry they can yell at teachers and the teachers maybe even can yell back at them and they'll have a good nice yelling sesh right before they jump into science class and learn how to dissect frogs but but the way that we do this is through compassion principles and not by actually discipline. Well, I'm reminded of something in the Bible, not that you leftists would care at all, but spoil the rod, spoil the child. When you do not implement discipline, you can continue to expect the kind of things that happened in Marion County and in other public schools all across this nation to continue to happen. And as we strip Christianity from the public school system and from our public consciousness, we can probably expect the same to happen. Because, trust me, we're not filling that chasm with just agnostic, atheistic gobbledygook. We, we've created a religion to fill its place, um, but it's just, it's just not a good one. And so that'll bring us to our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of Pronouns. Just recently, the Dalai Lama apologized for a video that's gone viral and is all over the news of him asking a young boy to kiss him on the lips and then to suck his tongue. Now, as gross as this is, I'm going to show you this very demented old man speaking to a young Asian boy and asking him to do the same. So you can see on the screen now that there's a young boy directly in front of the Dalai Lama, and he's acting very awkward around him as everybody kind of stares off in the distance behind him as they seem to not recognize what this weirdo is doing. But you'll see him kiss the Dalai Lama on the lips, and then the Dalai Lama will stick his tongue out and ask that boy to to suck on his tongue. Now, again, I'm sorry, Hollywood <laughs> elitists, that um, people like Richard Gere now have to have egg on their face a little bit. I got nowhere else to go! A long time ago, there was this shift away from kind of Christian consciousness to to self-consciousness and this idea of self-enlightenment. And this is where uh, the Russell Brands of the world kind of lose me when they start talking about enlightenment and kind of like this new agey kind of Christ experience of figuring out who you are and this self actualization Kind of Deepak Chopra, kind of nonsense. That, that stuff is fully rooted in a move away from Christianity into kind of uh, Eastern philo- philosophy, Eastern religion, and New Ageism. So, a lot of people are going to argue right now. Read, hey, what this Dalai Lama did, he's just one person, even though he's the enlightened one in, in Buddhism. It doesn't reflect the religion as a whole unless that religion teaches tongue-sucking. See, the argument here is this, is that, for instance, the trans cult, it teaches bodily mutilation. It teaches the bodily mutilation of children. They're doing the best they can to overturn laws in, in American cities right now where the perfectly common sense notion that a child can't consent to having his sex organs chopped off is, is being is being opposed by trans activists all over the place. So... The ideology of transgenderism is essentially this, that based upon a feeling, you can mutilate your physical body, or if you don't even want to use such charge rhetoric, you can, you can surgically alter your human body, that your human body is less important than your personal feelings. That is implicit, if not explicit in the ideology of transgenderism. So it makes sense when a trans activist values children's bodies so little that they are willing to go into a Christian school in Nashville and murder and mutilate the bodies of three children and three adults. So what I'm saying is is that if you logically follow the worldview to its end conclusion, is that you get this kind of this kind of notion, um, that it is logically consistent with the worldview to do these kind of acts. And what I'm saying to you is that the same, is true of Buddhism and other New Age religions. So we need to judge religions based upon the merits of the religion. So Buddhism, a long time ago, uh, taught that the removal of all desire is the way to truly find enlightenment versus what Christianity teaches, which is the purification of desire. So the Christian teaches desire as endemic to the human species. It's part of who we are. But but there is a way to purify those desires. It is not the vilification even of the homosexual community for having homosexual desires. It is the idea that we all have illicit desires and we must put those desires in check. Whereas Buddhism teaches that desire writ large is bad and you must rid yourself of all desire. Apparently the Dalai Lama is not so enlightened if that's the truth. Now, in the present, we have the trans cult again, and they're the deification of desire. Ultimately, they teach this idea that that your desire can dictate reality. So it's the deification of desire. And I use those just as an example to just say this. When we look at kind of the social consciousness, when we look at the, the New Age consciousness, and when we look at Christianity, and we look at these three things and judge them all, then not only do we see that religion can be defined by what you do with desire, but we also have to understand something, that what you do with that desire has some natural repercussions. So let's be really clear that as far as the transgender issue is concerned, sexual liberation in the present has been exposed for what it actually is. Oh, I see. So you don't want to see a close-up picture of my anus because you hate gay men. While we talk about and try to blackmail people with the idea of uh, suicide, and if you don't let me transition at the earliest of ages, if I'm seven years old and I'm not able to go on puberty blockers, then I will obviously kill myself. That has been totally debunked by by all available research, and that and the research shows us that. Uh, that seven to 10 years after transition is actually when people become the most suicidal. And we've yet to really determine kids at the youngest ages, once they go on puberty blockers and then have uh, surgical mutilation, uh, full body plastic surgery, like what ultimately happens to those people later in life when they're 40? I I would just tell you, watch some detransition videos on YouTube or something like that, and that'll kind of help you get a little bit further down the road. So I hope we understand that sexual liberation is, is not the pathway to truly understanding what to do with desire. Um, and then the other point I would say is that the suppression of that desire sure didn't seem to work with the Dalai Lama and probably won't work with you if it didn't work with him. So it sets us apart. While there are many other things we could add into the argument, I think it still stands that there is one religion that consistently and coherently keeps desire but also rightly defines it and puts it in right order. And that's Christianity. The real issue is, is at the end of the day, have we thought thoroughly through our worldview and is it holistically consistent? What do we do with desire? I believe it's one of the most important questions you can ask yourself in the present. If you don't know what to do with desire, it will ultimately turn into something that probably is illicit. I'm not saying that you're gonna go around asking small children to, to suck your tongue, but I am saying, that we're seeing all sorts of morally egregious behavior with kids in the present as we move further and further away from Christianity. So I simply suggest this. At the end of the day, it's important that we reinvestigate the faith that we think we know so well and that we make sure we understand it in its own terms and in its own right. And most of all, if we see that in the present, the aches and the pains and the groanings of our secular age have to do with the humanism that we've adopted or with any other philosophy that's out there to choose from, it might be important for you to investigate the faith, the authentic faith that was the founding uh, the founding block of this country, to investigate it and really give it the fair shot that it deserves. But the fact that you don't believe in God doesn't mean that you don't believe in anything. In fact, it may mean that you'll fall for everything, which is why I think it's important for us to turn to some rock-solid truths that we can hold on to in the present for the future. If you're doing that, I'd love to hear from you down in the comments section below. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.